welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 258, a conversation with a first-time fall turkey hunter. And I am your host and the guy who finally got his fields disked and planted this weekend. So I went down to my property Sunday afternoon after we got some rain in the Birmingham area Saturday, which was nice. I went down to get some seed spread on the field that I'd already disked and to disk up my other two fields, thinking that we'd gotten some rain and that maybe they would break up well. Well, I got my seed spread on the one field that was already broken, and we didn't really get a whole lot of rain down there. In fact, it may have sprinkled for about two or three minutes, and that was about it. So I went ahead and disked up the fields that I did not think would break up very well. They broke up just okay. They didn't break up all that great, but just good enough to where I felt like I could go ahead and drag them, get some seed spread, and pray that we got more rain Sunday, which also did not happen. So we're expecting rain tomorrow, and I'll be praying for rain then too which probably won't happen, and we're expecting rain a couple of days next week, at least a slight chance of rain a couple of days next week, and I'm just hoping and praying that one, at least one of those days, we'll get some actual rain at my property and get that seed watered in so that it can go ahead and get germinated. Hey, I know I'm not the only one out there who is having this problem and who's praying for some rain. There's a lot of places in the southeast that are very, very dry right now and could use a good couple of days of rain, a good soaking, slow rain. So hopefully soon. Today, we are 163 days, 10 hours, 15 minutes, and 46 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. It will be here soon. So listen, today I've got a pretty neat episode for you guys. I've got Cameron, the former Turkey Hunter podcast intern, on the show with us today to talk about his very first time fall turkey hunting this past weekend. And he had a little action that he's going to tell us about and share that story. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to shut up and we're going to go ahead and get into the call with Cameron. 
listening close, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me tonight a somewhat regular on the Turkey Hunter podcast. It's going to be a voice that you recognize and a personality that you recognize as well. And really, he needs no introduction other than for me just to say, Cameron, how are you? I'm good, Andy. Thanks for having me on again. I know I'm a regular here. People are probably sick of hearing me, but I'm glad to be on here again. That's usually a good sign that something's happened, but, you know, I always enjoy talking to you about turkeys and can never talk enough about them. So getting on a podcast is a good way to let it all out. There you go. Well, I was actually going to introduce you as a new turkey hunter because kind of sort of you are i am with what we're going to talk about tonight so absolutely for the people who listen to the show regularly and have in the past you know that cameron interned for me for a while and cameron helped out with the turkey hunter podcast for a while and then cameron went back home to tennessee and left me out in the cold i'm I'm sorry myself with the podcast And Cameron has been doing a good bit of spring turkey hunting, especially over the past five or six years. You've been going pretty regularly, but you just dipped your toe into fall turkey hunting. I did. It was this uh, past weekend, wasn't it? Yes, Saturday. I mean, I've seen turkeys while deer hunting, archery hunting and stuff like that, but Saturday was the first time in my life that I have gone in pursuit of a wild turkey during the fall season. One main cause of that is my family farms are all located in a county in Tennessee that do not have a fall season. Mm -hmm. And so this year I decided I'm going to try it. So I'm going to have to hunt public land and go to a county that does allow it. So in Tennessee, the law, which I think this is crazy, used to be you could shoot three turkeys of either sex in each county. (laughs) And now they've changed it to one bearded bird per county that's open. So they've made it better, in my opinion. I mean, three either sex per county is just crazy to me. But anyway, I had some deterrence for starting to fall hunt, and now I'm ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know as well as I do, there probably was no one killing three male turkeys in every county that was open for fall hunting in the fall but still mm-hmm. it that is a little I bit to, ridiculous i talked to a few people that i know killed more than three hens in multiple counties so i mean you're looking at taking five to six hens out of the out of the flock in, you know the statewide flock from one person that that's not good you know <laughs> i mean that's terrible in my opinion i mean they eat good i'm sure but that's probably pretty detrimental on your population in my opinion yeah I agree. And you guys in Tennessee, the the law just changed, didn't it, this year? So that you're gobbler only? Bearded only. Bearded only. Okay. So, yeah, it's bearded only. So you can do a Jake, you know, as long as there's a visible beard. So it it did just change this year. Uh, Well, I think it changed last year to bearded only. I'm not sure. It was either this year or last year. But I think that was a good move, personally, because all the surrounding states and Tennessee included have seen, you know, a decline in turkeys. So it's time to take some action. I'm glad to see they're doing that. Yeah. So bearded turkeys, but you can still kill a bearded hen. 
Yeah, I guess you could kill a bearded hen. So it's same as the spring season, just one per county is the way it works. My goal is to kill one bearded bird, and I probably would shoot a super jake, you know, six to eight inch beard. You know, two year would be a two year old in the spring. I would I would shoot him right now. I don't know if I would shoot a young Jake. Yeah. And I definitely would shoot a long beard without any hesitation. <laughs> As always. <laughs> you should just travel from county to county and try to kill a bearded hen in every county. That'd be the thing to do. There you go. I like that. There we go. I could I don't know how many counties there are in Tennessee, but I'm sure it would be good for me personally to harvest, you know, thirty to forty hens. I think that would be really good. You could call it the bearded lady slam. <laughs> I'd have a uh, hen fans and beards with with bare legs hanging on my wall everywhere. I like it. I like the idea. I like, I'm down. I mean, I don't want them to, you know, hatch eggs or anything. That would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Southern hunter. Yeah, that would be awful. I'd hate for that one hen to turn into a flock of 20. That would be the worst uh, thing ever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So that's awesome. I'm glad that you're venturing out and trying to get you a, a fall bird, a Thanksgiving turkey for the dinner table. So how did it go this weekend? Give me a little bit of a rundown from the top. So okay. did you get out in the woods like before daylight what where yeah just kind of yeah, walk so me through the entire day or the I, entire so the way uh tennessee season works is when archery bow season for deer starts you can archery turkey hunt so i'm assuming most of the turkeys that lose their lives in the fall probably are shot by archery deer hunters up in the stand and one walks by you know right so archery turkey is open right now and shotguns not so i knew that my dad had a crossbow that he never uses so i asked if i could borrow it because i do have a compound bow but with the style of hunting i do i do a lot of run and gun on public land i wasn't looking to carry a ground blind in and set up with a bow mm -hmm. so i thought my best bet would be a crossbow so i got it, it sighted in and everything and so saturday morning came so i had my crossbow which it's quite a bit heavier than a gun, a lot more bulky with those big limbs coming out, you know, the side. So I carried it with, and I had a backpack with, you know, range finder and gloves and mask and, you know, those kind of things all in my backpack. So I carried all that and my scouting ventures have been fruitless and I haven't been in a long time. So I really didn't have an area that I knew turkeys were in. So my best guess which I texted you about a couple of times, was to go where I had seen a big flock of turkeys last February when I was scouting for spring. Yeah. And there was a bunch of gobblers and jakes in this area. So I thought, you know, they were there in February. There was a bunch of turkeys in there. You know, they couldn't have gone too far, you know. And the other thing is there's been a, kind of a drought around uh, before it rained this past Sunday. Right. And so I thought water sources are going to be at a premium. There's a creek in there. They should be around there. So that was my process for where I'm going to go. So anyway, I had a little seat thing that goes on the ground. It's just a little short kind of turkey hunting seat. Carried that with me and walked a couple miles back in there to this spot. It's in the very back of some public land. Now give us and the GPS coordinates for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you're cutting out. What'd you say? Um, 
It's actually in Alabama. I uh-huh. dropped some coordinates where me and you were on a gobbler one time. I'll share those instead. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> I've already killed in that state. I won't ever be back. <laughs> but anyway, this place is public land, and no one else is allowed to go there but me. So mm-hmm. I went back in there. It was probably a two, two-and-a-half-mile hike, which it's really pretty thick right now, and that crossbow was pretty heavy, so it was not a very fun hike, to be honest. Yeah. And so I got back there, and I mean, I don't know where turkeys are roosting. I don't know anything about fall turkey patterns, honestly, other than like some YouTube videos I've watched. So my best guess is I'm going to go set up near some water. You know, they usually roost near water in Tennessee and most states that I've been to in the spring. So I figured probably the same in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go set up near water. And so I found a nice big clearing set up there. It got light, nothing, didn't hear anything fly down, you know, no yelping, gobbling, nothing at all. Didn't see any, you know, I mean, if a doe had walked up, I would have shot her too. Cause I mean, I have deer tag as well. So I would have taken a deer for some meat as well, but no deer. So I was like, all right, a pasture up here that the public woods border, you know, it's a private pasture, so I cannot hunt that, but I mean, I can literally walk up to the edge of it. I'm going to go look out there and see if anything's, you know, bugging out there. And so I went up there, and when I looked out in the field, I saw a turkey. So, I was, you know, I was very excited. All right, cool, I found the turkey. And what time Well, is then this? this is like 40 minutes after fly down should have probably okay. happened. All right. It's very early still. So, I mean, we're talking 7 o'clock maybe. And I see them out there bugging in the field. And it's, it turns out it's about 15 turkeys. So I get my binoculars up and I'm like, man, it's a good looking group of turkeys. I'm sure it's all hens. Well, I get my binoculars on them. It's all long beards. Like we're not talking super jakes. We're not talking eight inch, you know, these are all like full grown male, you know, probably nine, 10 inch bearded long beard turkeys. Mm-hmm. So I immediately start shaking like a leaf <laughs> and so I belly crawl up to a nice clearing that's, you know, right on the other side of the pasture. So I'm like, all right, well, I, you know, the YouTube videos and the people I've talked to have said you got to challenge the flock. Yeah. So I get out a box call that I have. It's an old lynch call that has a gobbler side to it. And it sounds pretty good to me, at least. And I do, you know, three real raspy, yelp, 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 trying to make a gobbler yelp. And which I actually was listening to that uh, episode you just did in New Hampshire where the gobbler was yelping up there yeah, and trying to, you know, use that as a frame of reference because you can't beat the real thing. So anyway, I did that. And immediately at this point, the turkeys are probably 200 yards away. I could hear them, you know, and they started kind of doing those fight purrs. And I thought, all right, this is, you know, game on. Mm-hmm. Well, for whatever reason, they didn't. It's like it ticked them off, which is what I wanted to do. But like it made them mad at each other. Like they didn't come down to fight me. They just started jumping up and spurring each other and running all around. And they en- honestly ended up going further away from me and kind of got in a big brawl amongst themselves. And then actually a big flock of hens flew down that were still in the trees. They flew down to my right and they started fighting. There's a ton of fighting going on in the field. And so the gobblers are up on this. To my front left, they're up on this big rise, now probably 300 yards from me. And they they start just pecking around again after they calm down. I mean, I called to them a bunch. I tried gobbling at them. 
gobbler yelping, gobbler clucks, had a diaphragm in, did some fight purrs. It was like once they got to 300 yards away, they, they lost all interest. They could care less about ever even coming my way. You know, they kind of had their routine set, it seemed. Yeah. So when they got up there, all of a sudden after they're bugging around, I mean, I'm just watching them. I'm really enjoying the morning. Like, honestly, didn't expect to even see a turkey. So I was having a fun time. And I noticed they all got kind of go to alert. And I was like, okay, what's going on? You know, is the farmer coming out in the field or what? And I see a coyote runs up. And this coyote is, he's maybe 15 yards from this flock of gobblers. Like, we're talking right next to them. Mm-hmm. And they don't even, like, really care. I mean, they're watching him, but they're not running away, flying away. I mean, I would have thought that would have been a big commotion. You know, I would have thought he would have run towards them. But he just kind of stands there next to him. And honestly, three of the gobblers just kind of walked over there by him. Like, they didn't care, you know, within probably 10 yards of this thing. Yeah. And I gobbler yelp again, and the coyote takes off running towards me. And I'm like, you know, I must sound like a wounded turkey, a really <laughs> sick turkey. That's the only explanation I could come up with is, like, I must sound so bad that this this coyote thinks, I'm not going to go for these real turkeys. This one over here in the bush sounds terrible. He's, he's hurt. So, anyway, he comes running down, and the way I'm set up, where I am is – almost on like it's so up and down there it's literally like a cliff edge in front of me about five yards it's like a cliff Mm -hmm. that you know about a three foot straight down wall almost and the coyote comes running towards me and i'm calling the whole time because you know now i'm on a coyote hunt yeah and he starts circling the wind is blowing in my face hitting kind of my right cheek blowing that way and he starts circling that way, and I thought, okay, he's going to circle me to get downwind. He's going to smell me. He's not coming in. Well, what he did is he got behind that cliff and started creeping almost like a cat, like down on his belly, like crawling behind it where he was lower than that. Yeah. So I couldn't hardly see him. And finally, at like, I mean, he had to be maybe five yards from me, and I'm sitting there with my crossbow on the ground. And he comes out from around that cliff, like crawling from behind the cliff. And I think what he was, his plan was he was going to come down that edge and then just pounce up over the top and hopefully catch a turkey. Yeah. So he crawled out from behind it and I shot and my arrow went in above his front right shoulder, traveled through the entire coyote and came out above his back left leg. So it tore him to pieces. Mm-hmm. But he still ran probably 80 yards before he fell over dead. Really? Um, so anyway, yeah, he still ran away. And I'm colorblind as could be, so it took me forever to find the thing. But I finally got him. And through all this commotion, the turkeys never even left. And something cool that happened after that, so after I killed him, I knew I'd killed him. I didn't move because I don't want to spook the turkeys. They didn't know what had happened. They just saw a coyote. He's now run off. Right. So they probably felt better. So the turkeys are still up on the hill well there's this gigantic oak tree and it's one of those trees that has branches that come out you know kind of towards the base and the branches are like the size of another tree you know what i mean yeah just huge branches coming out they walk over this tree because you know at this point it's you know eight thirty, nine o'clock starting to get a little hotter into the day sun's coming up and they're just kind of hanging out in the shade of this tree well i'm i bet eight of them all jumped up on one limb 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're probably four foot off the ground and they're all just hanging out on this limb. That limb's like shaking like crazy. And so that was pretty cool. I'd never seen turkeys, you know, late in the morning all jump up in a tree, you know, on that low limb. It was kind of cool to watch them do that. Yeah. But anyway, they meandered off eventually and I went and found my coyote and looked up on Google and you can eat coyotes. So in my mind, I thought, you know, I'm going to leave him here. And then I read that and I was like, well, heck, who's to say coyote meets bad? <laughs> so I strapped that sucker up and hauled him all three miles back to the truck, which sucked. Skinned him up and got the meat out of him and sucked him down Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> all and right. he was good. Since we're on the topic, I've got to ask. Yes. How was it? It was good. It legitimately was good. Did it taste like frog legs? No. It tasted like, I won't say it was as good as a like really well-cut piece of deer meat. It was not that good. It was way better than duck, in my opinion. And if duck was a 1 and, and a deer tenderloin was a 10 on the wild game meat scale for dark meat, coyote would be like a 7 or 8, in my opinion. Hmm. For the dark meat scale. And I'm more prone to white meats because I like turkey and quail and pheasant. I really like those meats. But I also eat, you know, deer and stuff's very good to me. And I'd say coyote was a seven or eight taste-wise if you put a deer, you know, a really well-cooked deer tenderloin as like your number 10, your best. And where would you put a goose, a Canadian goose? The goose was probably equal, seven or eight. The Canadian goose I cooked. And I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I think one reason the goose that I cooked was so good is he was a kind of a local goose. And I don't think he had as much blood in those breast pieces because he doesn't fly very far, in my opinion. I think he's just pond hops around, you know, locally. I think a migrating goose probably would not taste as good as the one I killed and ate a few weeks ago. Okay. But the coyote, I grilled him. I mean, I didn't wrap him in bacon. I didn't try to coat it. I wanted to taste, what does coyote meat taste like? Is it bad? Is it good? Is it meh? And it was good. I would eat it again. Like, if I kill another coyote, I'll definitely be taking out his back straps and hams and eating him. So, what was it like mentally? Mentally was dog? the hardest part. Because I had my yellow lab and my golden retriever watching me clean this thing. And then it was kind of weird when they were begging at the table and I'm eating him. And I, I couldn't possibly give them any scraps from the table this time because, I mean, that could be a cousin of theirs or something. And, and it's cannibalism for them. But mentally, that was probably the toughest thing was just thinking, you know, for some reason, there's a stigma around that. You know, this is a dog-like creature. But what helped me get past it is everybody's like, you're eating a dog or whatever. I was like, all right, when you go in the woods and you see a coyote and you have a rifle, would you shoot it? Everybody's like, heck yeah, man, I'll shoot that thing so fast. I'm like, all right, you walk in the woods and a yellow lab comes walking by you. Are you going to shoot it? No, I wouldn't shoot a you know beautiful yellow lab. All right, well, it's not the same then. This coyote's a wild animal. Everybody wants to kill him. But it's not the same eating him either, in my opinion. That was how I justified it before sucking him down. <laughs> so how'd you cook it? So I cooked him two ways. The first way was the same I did the Canadian goose. You use, you put, first off, you got to make sure you get all the blood out of the meat, which I do by, I put it in a bowl of water in the sink with some ice on it. And every time I walk past the sink, I change it out if the water's pink or red or whatever until there's 
it's clear and the meat, you know, has no more blood left in it. And then I put it in the fridge overnight and do it again. And then the day I cooked it, I took one back strap and a, and a ham off the back hindquarters and I put it in a baggie with light olive oil. It has to be light. For some reason, that penetrates the meat more. And Montreal steak seasoning. And that's mm-hmm. it. And I shook that all up in there. And then I put that in the fridge to marinate for about, you want to marinate for six to eight hours, typically is what I did. So I did that around lunchtime. And then the other one was a little more complex recipe. It was a marinade that it's like you do a teaspoon, no, it's a tablespoon of soy sauce, of Worcestershire, of olive oil. You do three tablespoons of olive oil, I believe, some smoked paprika, pepper, and garlic. And you mix all that together. Oh, and red wine vinegar. And you mix all that together. And then you put I put a backstrap and a ham in that and shook it all up and marinated it for six to eight hours. I just wanted to try two different ones to make sure that the marinade wasn't what was going to mess up the meat quality. Yeah. And so then I got, I cooked it like I do every other wild game that I'm going to cook. And the best way I've found to cook it for my taste buds, at least other people can disagree, whatever, is I get the grill freaking hot. I mean, 450, 500 degrees. And I put it on there for about three and a half, four minutes on each side. It's cooked fully, but it's like a nice medium to medium rare. Because if you go past that, you're going to make any wild game taste like crap. And I think that's why there's a stigma around coyote meat from people who have dared to try it that it's terrible. Is I, I bet people are cooking the heck out of it till it's just gray and black, you know, overcooked. Yeah. But so that's how I did it. And I think I personally like the recipe that was just light olive oil and Montreal steak seasoning. That just seems to, like, for some reason, makes meat taste amazing. Uh, that's what I did with the Canadian goose, and it was literally like a fine New York strip. And I would eat a goose any day of the week right now, So and coyote. So, yeah, so that's how I cooked it. So I cooked it, you know, probably, I think I had to grill at 450, a gas grill, and cooked it on each side about four to four and a half minutes each side. And I had a lot of people on Instagram commenting that I was going to get trichotinosis or something like that. Yeah, trichinosis. Trichinosis. But after doing my own research on it, the main culprit of trichinosis is pig. So take that how you want it, which in my opinion, a pig is like the nastiest animal on earth. And apparently it's okay to consume the heck out of those. But, you know, a coyote. Anyway, and some people were saying, you know, the meat eater guy got trichinosis. Well, he was cooking bear meat over an open fire in the rain and literally said he was tearing the cooked pieces away from the raw pieces and eating it. So it's a little different than throwing it on a gas grill at 450 for five minutes each side. (laughs) Yeah. In my opinion. So I'll let you know. We can do a turkey hunter podcast update when I am, uh, and I might have to do it from the toilet if I get trichinosis. But I will let you know. Doesn't it take like seven or ten days for trichinosis for you to feel, or for someone to feel the effects of trichinosis? <laughs> You're already assuming I have it. Uh, <laughs> no, I've, actually, I already I know you it have it. It takes like a, a couple weeks to a month. And oh, really? you just get like really bad muscle cramps and diarrhea, pretty bad. Stuff like that. I mean, pretty much what it is is it's like getting stomach worms, I think is how it works. 
And okay. I mean, when I looked it up, like, yeah, you get muscle cramps and diarrhea. Like nobody wants that. But you know, the meat eater dude's video is like, yeah, and I took some pills and was fine. I mean, it, it's not like life or death situation here. Right. But I don't think I'll be. You know, if I kill a coyote and he's mangy looking and, you know, half his fur's falling out, no, I'm probably not going to eat him, no. If I kill one, he looks real healthy, he looks like he's been doing well, I'm going to suck him down with no remorse anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt. It was, it was good meat. I mean, and I, I've i never been afraid to try anything once, eating-wise, especially an animal that I personally killed and... I can justify killing a coyote and not eating him. You know, he's competing for my food source in the wild turkey, so he needs yeah. to die. But when I killed this one, I don't know, I just had a thought, you know, I ought to try to eat him, make something out of it for killing him. And I did, and honestly, the meat was good. My brother tried it, he said it was good. So I had to have somebody else try it, and he was the only one bold enough to do it, because I didn't want everybody to think I was just full of crap, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. And he tried it, and he thought it was good. So for you guys who are listening who are not familiar with trichinosis, and I'm not claiming to be an expert, which is why I've just looked it up online, I'm going to read this. And I'm not reading it to scare Cameron because Cameron's already done his research and reading up on it. So he's if he's going to be scared, he's already scared. He's not going to tell us he's scared, but he'll, he's already scared. So this is what it says about trichinosis on the interwebs so you know it's true. Although it is considered to be a relatively minor disease in wildlife, causing only minor behavioral changes, such as less activity, increased predation, and decreased reproductive activity. We'll talk about that in a minute, Cameron. Trichinosis can be fatal in, trichinosis can be fatal in humans as they burrow into the muscle cells. The muscle cells serve to protect the larvae, so they can live for years in an animal. They only become reactivated when the meat they have been living in is eaten by a carnivore or a hunter. Symptoms include stomach pain and fever, muscle aches and swelling around the eyes. Thirst, sweating, chills, weakness, and fatigue may follow. Chest pain can occur if the parasite has infected the diaphragm. The onset of illness depends on the number of parasites and the amount of meat eaten. Trichinosis is a reportable disease. This means that healthcare providers and laboratories that diagnose cases of laboratory-confirmed trichinosis are required to report those cases to their local or state health departments, which in turn report the cases to the CDC. Trichinosis can infect dogs that eat raw meat infected with the parasite. Infected dogs may not show any signs of illness or they may develop mild diarrhea. The main course of prevention against trichinosis is the proper handling and cooking of meat, smoking, freezing, or curing game meat, and this is in bold type, may kill the larva, but this is not the case for all strains of trichinosis. Low temperature smoking will not kill the larva. In addition, livestock should never be served the meat or offal of wildlife. So, um, hmm. so slow cooking is the worst thing you could do. That, well, I think low cooking is the worst thing that you can do. Low temperature. Yeah, so like I should the meat say. eater guy sticking it on a stick and cooking it over open fire would be like the worst thing because you, I mean, especially in the rain, it would have been a low temperature. It would have been a low temperature fire. So. Yeah, I'm pretty confident I'm not going to get it from the meat I cooked. I cooked it at 450, and did you check we'll the internal temperature of the meat? 
to the tongue, it tasted hot, but no, not with a thermometer. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's like you said, it can be fatal, but it's treatable. I think and... that's extremely rare from what I looked up, and most of the cases come from third world like countries that are eating pork, and in yeah. the United States, the main the main people that get it are eating bear meat. Yeah. But I'm assuming not that many people eat coyote meat, so that could be part of it. I get that. But that was what I found. I think I would be the first case of a coyote meat person getting it. I couldn't find anywhere where somebody had gotten trichinosis from a coyote. Well, I think it'll be interesting when you're the first one and we can interview you while you're sitting in the hospital getting treatment. No, seriously. Yeah. You know, you've done your research on that. We're not going to dwell on it. The only reason that I even read that is because I know there's some people like me who have heard of trichinosis but didn't know all of those details about it. So, uh, you know, it's it's when you hear of someone who gets sick, like food poisoning, that type of thing, that's not what this is. This is something completely different. You know, So you're not going to be eating this meat and then six hours, eight hours, two hours later, you're doubled over in the bathroom, not knowing if you need to sit or squat. So I should should say uh, sit or kneel, but yeah. 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 The way I read it and the way I think it works is what it is, is the larva is embedded in the meat if it has it, which is rare. So not everybody's eating, you know, a coyote's going to get it, but the larva is in a very hard shell. And the only thing, the only thing that can melt that shell and release the larva is stomach acid. Wow. So when you eat it, it gets in your stomach. The acid melts the shell. The larva comes out, finds a a little girl larva. They hook up, make little babies, and then they start spreading into your muscles throughout your body. That's why it takes a month or so for you actually to see symptoms. So that's why I read up on it. I never really looked at this. That's why the host's sexual activity decreases is because all the larvae are... <laughs> it's, it's happening in the body already. So, uh-huh. yeah, they're, yeah, they're now the host for the, the sexual activity. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so <laughs> we've gotten off topic here talking about the coyote and eat, yeah. eating coyote Let's get meat back because, to turkeys. Yeah, you know, this is a turkey hunting podcast, but I did want to ask questions about it and touch on it because, you know, a lot of people feel that way that you mentioned and that way that you feel to an extent. If you kill something, you're going to eat it. Or make use out of it, you know, in some way at least. Exactly. And so it's out there. You know, I don't know if I will eat it, but I tell you what I will try because someone, I've actually had several people tell me how incredibly good it is, is bobcat. So the next time I kill a bobcat, I will risk my cat allergy and carry it out, clean it, and cook bobcat because I've heard it is just really, really good. So we'll find out about that. Yeah. Well, I hope you get one because uh, if I kill one, I'll do the same for sure because I, I could see how it would be good. I mean, and just to reiterate, if you kill a coyote and you're not worried about getting the disease, I'm not, and you're not scared to try a new meat or eat, you know, a canine, the meat is good. That is all I could say. At least the one I killed, it was good. Okay. All right. So 
let's get back on your turkeys. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to do is ask you, the turkey hitman himself, and I know you do not fall turkey hunt, but you've talked to people who have fall turkey hunted, and you know a lot about the biology, behavior, and actions of a wild turkey. So this Saturday is shotgun fall season opens in Tennessee, and you know where I'm going to be headed back after is this flock of gobblers. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give from a non-fall hunter yourself to a non-fall hunter myself with what knowledge you do have of the fall season turkeys? Well, yeah, you really hit the nail on the head. You're asking a guy that (laughs) is not a fall turkey hunter or has not been a fall turkey hunter in the past questions about this. So what I'm going to say is this. I'm going to give you my two cents, and it comes from my talking to other fall turkey hunters, which by no means makes me an expert, as you already know. And if I say something, I'm directing this statement to you guys listening to the show. If I say something that you want to elaborate on, or you have more additional information, or you have a different approach than what I'm going to mention to Cameron, then I would like for you guys to help Cameron out. And message Cameron on Instagram. And Cameron, I'm going to let you give your Instagram handle here in just a second. But Uh I'd like for you guys to help him out because he would do the same thing for you guys and always will. I know that for a fact. So, you know, if he's hunted any states that you want to go in and hunt, hit him up. I know he's always happy to help. He's not going to tell you anything about Tennessee. That's a fact. I know that to be a fact because I've asked Stay away from Tennessee. There's no turkeys here. I have threatened him with trichinosis larvae, and he has (laughs) eaten them and refused to give me the information that I've asked him for. So you can just throw Tennessee out. But if he's been to a state and he's hunted and you're going there this year or you want to go next year, then by all means, he's an open book. So Cameron, share your Instagram handle or however you want anybody that's listening to the show to, to help out. If you have Instagram, my handle is thegobfather49. So that's like the gob, like gobbler father. So the gobfather49, because I'm wanting to kill in 49 states. So if you have any information on fall turkey hunting, specifically of a male turkey in the fall, on how to close the distance, call in, find habits, anything like that, please, please message me because I will be going Saturday morning and I'm clueless as to this topic. And that's the Godfather 49. If you don't have Instagram, you got Facebook, just look me up at Cameron Weddington and you can message me on there. Either one will reach me and I'll be happy to respond. And Andy's right. If you have any other you know questions of me, I'll feel free to reach out and I'll get back to you. And yeah. So, and I'll let you know how turkeys act in Tennessee. I'm just not going to point you in any direction. I'll probably point you to the other side of Tennessee. East Tennessee's <laughs> got more turkeys anyway. So, that's go right. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Weddington, just like a wedding. T-O-N, ton. On the end of it. Yep. So, yeah. Weddings cost a ton. All right. You asked my thoughts and my opinions of what you could do. And I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. what I think that you have run across is something that's pretty rare in the turkey woods, but it's out there. 
I think it exists not only with turkeys, but a lot of different animal species. And what you ran across this past Saturday is that that flock of turkeys has a ventriloquist turkey in it that throws this voice and makes it sound like a turkey is yelping from another part of the woods or the other part of the field. And the rest of the turkeys in that flock hate that ventriloquist turkey. And they ran over there to thoroughly flog him and make him stop with his ventriloquist act and his yelp throwing. Uh, Your fall advice is shaping up to be really meritable at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, it's just stuff that I've learned from other fall hunters. (laughs) Thank thank you. (laughs) Maybe I haven't been listening to all your shows lately. (laughs) Remember that I'm a turkey hunter and a bass fisherman, and so I can lie with the best of them. Mm -hmm. I know that. You lied to that little boy in North Carolina that told him we didn't hear a turkey gobble. That now what you just said is a lie. What you said was (laughs) what you just said is a lie. I saved that little boy's life and you're sitting here and you're gonna accuse me of telling him a lie. I'm just saying. He asked if we heard anything and I I was right there with you. I was no, I didn't hear a thing. You said the same thing. No, what I said was no, your shotgun barrel is clogged with mud. <laughs> you just thought As I said, you were no, I didn't mud hear any turkeys <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, seriously, going back to your turkey thing here, your turkey yeah. hunt. So it may be a situation where you want to try to bust that flock up. Mm-hmm. It might be that, you know, with there being 20 turkeys in there, 15 or 20 toms in that group, you know, Maybe they're waiting on that one Tom that's in the woods to come to them. And you're also still, and I think it's going to be the same in the fall as it is in the spring or the summer or the winter. I think you're going to have a hard time calling turkeys out of a field and into the woods. Yeah, that's a fact. But I do think that your best bet in doing that is challenging them or one of them or two of them. You know, and it could be that they're at that point from getting flocked up since it's really early fall, but getting flocked up after the summer when they kind of, you know, are in smaller bachelor groups or even running solo in the summer and they're getting in this flock and they're still trying to figure out the hierarchy mm-hmm. within that flock. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of my two cents, but I think that I would try to maybe get into, and I know you don't want to walk three miles back in the woods again, but I would seriously consider getting back in there Friday evening if you're going to hunt Saturday morning, mm-hmm. listening for them to fly up, and then trying to bust that flock off the roost and see if you can get it split up well enough yeah, to Yeah, before wear. the morning, huh? Yeah, and then... That's not a bad idea. You may not have to wait as long in the morning for that group of toms to try to group back up or flock back up because... Yeah they've been alone for most of the night so yeah that's true you know because what i've read is that the the gobblers they take their sweet time getting back together if you do bust them up in the mornings that's exactly which i think you you were just alluding to yeah yeah so you know i think that that might be a good approach and i really do think that what you experienced saturday morning was 
you being in the woods and trying to call those turkeys from a field into the woods, you know, if there's some other social aspect going on that would keep them from coming to you, I don't, I don't know what that seriously would be. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know that there's any merit or validity to the whole, hey, they're, they're just starting to flock back up. And maybe that's one of the reasons why they weren't interested in coming to you. And if you were a turkey, you easily would have been able to hear them and, mm-hmm. you know, them calling and fighting and doing whatever it was that they were doing. So, you know, that might be why they just didn't have a whole lot of interest in coming over there to check you out. But, you know, if you... The other part of it, too, is, you know, it's going to be hard to use a decoy, to use a strutter decoy, if you're in the woods and they're in the field. Yeah, that's what's complicating it heavily. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because I feel like if I could use a Jake decoy or whatever, and I don't typically hunt with decoys, but I would probably do it in this situation, put one in the field and they see it, then they might become enraged and come really try to fight me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... I don't see any way. I mean, honestly, one thing I'm hoping, it's supposed to be in the 30s Saturday, and I'm hoping that that's going to mean the bug activity in the field is going to be minimal and that they're going to be hitting more so the acorns in the woods. Right. That would be a win for me because then yeah. they're in in the woods that can hunt. Yeah. Did you guys, what kind of a mast crop are you guys going to experience this year? Uh, from what I saw on Saturday walking through those woods, it was fantastic. There was okay, yeah, the ground was covered already. Yeah, so you know that this time of year the turkeys are trying to build up their reserves and get as much protein as they can. So they're going to spend a good bit of time in that field bugging, and yeah. you know as the temp cools off and the bug population kind of dies down, even though they don't really die, but as it thins out for the winter and they go underground or under logs wherever it is they go then you're going to find those turkeys in the woods feeding on those mass crops a lot more but when does your fall season end so it ends in early november but i'm not going to be able to fall shotgun hunt i'm going on a duck hunt next week so this weekend's kind of it for a chance at them with a shotgun so i'm really going to hit it hard for you know saturday and sunday morning before church so you guys have a just a two-week shotgun season in the fall? I think it's it's like I think it's 10 days on. maybe. It, okay. it starts on a Saturday this year, so it starts Saturday, and it goes a full week, and then it goes to that next Friday, which I hate that it closes on the Friday. So I guess that would be five, five days plus. So it's about like a 13-day season. Okay. Or 12-day season, I guess, of shotgun. But then you can hunt again with a bow until deer rifle opens, which makes sense to me because I don't want to be out there trying to fall turkey hunt while people could be rifle hunting. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, so So. you're probably, just judging by the timing, you're not going to be fall turkey hunting with a shotgun while the turkeys are going to be rummaging around in the woods looking for acorns and whatever other kind of seeds or nuts are dropping at that time. So yeah. now you may have your They're crossbow. Probably be in that field. Yeah. You, you may have your crossbow then, but... That November weekend, couple weekends, that they ought to be in the woods then, I would think, by November. Yeah. So, yeah, I would give that a shot and 
you know, maybe get back in there five o'clock, four thirty, something like that, Friday afternoon, and yeah, see if they're out in that field, and then just watch them, see where they go and fly up, or see where they leave the field, and then you know, set up right time, there. Yeah, you could yeah. either you could either not bust them up and go get between where they're roosted in that field. Yeah. Or you could bust the flock and you know that's again that's a whole different level of difficulty because there's so many leaves on the trees. Yeah, hard to see right now and they're in the tree out of them. They're hard to see when they're in the tree and they're hard to see when they fly off. So mm-hmm. You know, you can get the general direction that they went, but it's not like you're going to be able to crouch down or move left or move right and see 200 yards, you know, the direction that they fly as to where they land and, you know, have a good idea of where they are the next morning. But at least you can kind of get a ballpark. But, you know, that's another idea and something you'll have to weigh out is, do I just watch where they leave the field, listen for them to fly up? and then get between where they're flying up in the field the next morning and sit and wait. Yeah, and it might be one thing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to try to bust them Friday. So Saturday may be kind of my learning morning. Because now I know, I mean, and this is all assuming that they're still at that field, but I'm assuming they're routine. From what I've read, fall turkeys are much more routine than your spring turkey. And so I'm assuming they're going to be right there again Saturday morning. At some point in the morning, they're going to be in that field, is my assumption. And so I'm hoping that by being there at fly-down time, I can see where the roost is. And then if I can't coerce them over Saturday morning, then Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning, I should have a good idea where they're going to be traveling around to, is what I'm hoping. And you can hunt all day in the fall in Tennessee. Yes. You can hunt all day in the spring as well. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all day. We have no time constraint, you know, other than sunrise and sunset time or whatever. Sure. Which typically aren't an issue <laughs> unless you're shooting them out of the tree, I guess. But anyway, yeah, so I am pumped to see that many gobblers. I will say that much. Oh. So regardless of how the fall season goes, come spring season, I'm assuming at least a few of them might still be around. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, should be some gobbling turkeys in there in the spring, I would hope. But yeah, I'm, I'd love to kill one in the fall. I've never, I just think it'd be a really cool experience, especially if I can challenge the flock and get them mad and they come try to fight me. That That's like what I'm envisioning the ideal fall hunt to be. Yeah. Or busting the flock, like you said, like run up in them. Calling them to me is the fun part for me in the spring, so I want to kind of use that in the fall. It's just a different tactic. Right. And it would be pretty cool to do that, especially a gobbler to call in in the fall. It's, that's kind of, from what I've read in articles and stuff, that's kind of the crown jewel is to call in and kill a gobbler in the fall. Yeah, that's what all the hardcore fall guys will tell you. Yeah, so hopefully some of your hardcore fall followers will reach out and give me some golden tips on how to kill these turkeys on Saturday well, or a turkey from them. Yeah, there are quite a few that listen to the show so hopefully some of them will hit you up and give you some advice and if you get some response to this whether it's in time or not maybe we get you back on and you can read some of those comments or share some of the tips and information that some of these guys or ladies have given you what would be fantastic is if i'm given a tip and i use it saturday and kill a gobbler in the fall 
and then I can come back on the show, tell the story of the kill and how I used the Instagram tip to kill that bird. That would be pretty cool. Or you kill a tom, and then you kill a bobcat trying to eat your tom yeah. that you just killed. And you can have... And I can bring my bobcat recipe. Yeah, you have bobcat and turkey and share those recipes with us. And I have some, I ground up the remaining coyote meat. So I have some ground coyote that I could also throw in the pot. So I think you'd make yote jerky out of it. I, I'm not a big jerky person, to be honest. I'm just not, a, you know, I'll buy some jack links or whatever, but I think I'm going to make some, some coyote chili out of it. I don't know why, that just sounds good to me. Hmm. But I am going to wait a month, and if I get trichinosis, <laughs> I'm not going to eat it. Yeah, that's that's pretty wise, <laughs> I think. One thing that's cool is if I do get trichinosis or whatever, it stays with you kind of forever. So then if anybody, you know, we get to end world times and somebody cannibalizes me, it's going to come back to haunt them. Oh, yeah. Because then they're going to get it. So that's, yeah. the, that's the positive side of the disease. Well, you need to be sure and tell Audrey about that so that she's not the one who kills you and eats you. Yeah, well... It'll be, uh, I'll get the last laugh in the end. Hmm. So. All right, I'll be anyway. sure to tell her then. Well, I hope Saturday morning it's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to rain Friday, which I think will be nice. That's also a reason I think they'll be near the field. Yeah. Is uh, most turkeys go towards fields when it rains. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming they're going to be hanging out there in the rain. They're probably going to fly up very near to the field edge. And I'm hoping Saturday morning with the leaves being wet and everything, I'll be able to walk quietly, which was a problem this past Saturday. I sounded like a herd of elephants every step I took. Yeah. So that will help. And I'm hoping I can slip in there. And I'll, I'm hoping I can be close enough to them, even if they don't do any roost talk, because they, they seem like they're not talking too much right now. And, you know, I've read people say they talk like crazy in the, in the fall sometimes, some mornings. But... I'm hoping I'll at least hear wing beats or something for them flying down or see them pitch into the field. That's my, that's, if I can get that, that'll be a objective complete for Saturday morning. That'll give me my recon. I need hopefully to kill one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think you've got a plan. Me too. I hope I'm on here in a couple of weeks telling you all a successful fall turkey hunt story. Me too. And using a user or a listener tactic to kill him would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, buddy, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening and time away from your lovely bride and coming on the show and chatting with us, sharing your first fall turkey hunt with us and sharing your experience about eating a coyote. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we learned anything from this conversation, it's that I know nothing about fall turkey hunting and that I will eat anything. So True. coyote meat's good. And hopefully I can get a fall turkey. That's that's the bottom line from this conversation. Well, you take that ventriloquist turkey tip and you stick that in your back pocket. You try to figure out how to manipulate that and use that to your advantage Saturday or Sunday. And I will guarantee you, guarantee. 100%. 100% that it will result in something. All right. I like that. That's not open-ended at all. <laughs> <laughs> well that sounds good well right, i'll let you know how it goes and hopefully uh hopefully it goes well yeah so, i appreciate you having me on uh, yeah thank you to all on. your listeners for 
putting up with me, and I will be sure, and you can write this down in a, in a month and a half, you need to let your listeners know if I'm on my deathbed or if I'm still cooking coyote. All right. I will so, do that. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, give Audrey a hug from me and Tammy, and we look forward to seeing you guys sometime soon. Be safe out there this weekend, and let me know how Thank it you. goes. Will do. All See right, you later, Andy. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Goodbye. All right. That's all that I've got for you guys for today's episode. However, if you'll do me a favor, if you laughed one time at today's episode, then please forward today's show via text message to one hunting buddy. Just one. You can do that by clicking the share button in your podcast player application and sharing the episode via text message with a hunting buddy. If you do that, I'd be very appreciative. I hope that you guys enjoyed the call with Cameron. I always enjoy talking to him. He is extremely passionate about hunting turkeys. And I know that a lot of you guys, especially you guys and ladies who are listening to this show this time of year, because so many listeners are listening to podcasts about deer hunting right now. And the last thing on their minds is turkeys. Turkeys are never the last thing on my mind. But it was great having Cameron on the show again and getting to hear the story of his first fall turkey hunt. And I think it's awesome that he actually had some activity, had some action. And I think it's great that he took a predator out of the population this weekend. And I think that it's great that he ate it. I'm not sure that I'll do it, but maybe I will. I don't know. What I do know is that I have to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.